in the past. It's just a fun video, and it's real, right? Like, there's, there's a lot of truth into that rap that Christmas time can be a little bit crazy, a little bit whack, yo, okay? So, <laughs> sorry, it's a little too street for everybody. Um, uh, <laughs> welcome to New Hope. Normally, we preach through books of the Bible, and this the Christmas season, we're just being topical, okay? And, uh, and we've labeled this a guide to a totally awesome Christmas, because we want you to have a totally awesome Christmas. Last week, we talked about bringing light, right? Turn on the lights to have an awesome Christmas. We talked about Christmas lights, like, yeah, it's a fun part of Christmas, but we talked about Christ being the light of the world, and that's the light we want to turn on. This morning, I want to be very practical and and just get real with you guys with some things, because we know Christmas can be a difficult season for a lot of people. And as, as a pastor, um, we, we want to really help you because I know some of your families are crazy, yo, right? Like, okay, so we get to holiday season and some of you really look forward to it. And some of you, there's some anxious moments about the holidays, right? There's, there's those gatherings you got to go to. The thing about families is that you, you don't pick your families, <laughs> right? You get to pick your friends, but your families are your families. And, uh, and sometimes you have to deal with some very dysfunctional families. So we're going to talk about how to put fun and dysfunction, okay? And, uh, and, and understanding how to do that. Has anybody ever seen the movie Home Alone? right? Okay, Home Alone. Yeah, so it's like, a, it's become a classic Christmas movie, you know, from the 90s where, where Kevin, you know, Kevin, this little boy is just, the opening scene is just mistreated. Everybody's just treating him, being a jerk to him, and like, he's still being a jerk too, by the way. Like, they're all being just, it's just a crazy yelling, like everybody against each other, kind of a scene at the beginning of the movie, but they're really picking on Kevin. You hear the phrases, and, and you know these quotes from the movie, like, you're such a disease, and, and like, whenever he spills the pop and all that. The uncle says, look what you did, you little jerk. You know, you've heard these phrases before, and, and I think it, it's a cousin. It's like, you are what the French call les incompetents, right? Like, like he's, so they're just like ripping on Kevin the whole night before the next day they're supposed to fly to France and, and to celebrate Christmas in, in Paris with family over there. And the thing that happens, if you haven't seen the movie, just, uh, it, it, you know, too bad, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you. Um, <clears throat> Kevin gets left in the process of them packing up to leave the next morning, right? And, and it's, you know, a little boy comes over and is looking in their stuff and they count his head and think he's Kevin. And then they all leave and the neighbor goes home and then Kevin wakes up and he was so angry the night before. He was so angry at his family. He had to sleep upstairs in the attic with the cousin that pees the bed. I mean, it's his worst of all worst nights. And when he wakes up, he goes down and everything's dead silent in the house. His wish the morning before is his, his parents and his family, everybody just disappear, right? And when he wakes up in the morning, you know the phrase, I made my family disappear. Now, the thing is, like, he should be terrified, right? Like, he's a young kid. He's in his house by himself, and his whole family just disappeared, and he's excited, right? <laughs> now, here's the thing. I know some of you maybe have the same Christmas wish. Like, well, I want my family to disappear. Like, but we can't. Our families don't do that, right? Families just don't disappear. You can't make them disappear. Like, you have your family, and we need to know how do we show love and grace, and how do we experience Christmas, even with some Christmas crazy in our families? How do we go through a Christmas season like this? Now, we know that some of you—oh, man, you think about just families, struggles or tensions or awkwardness or hurts. The reality is Christmas can actually be full of a lot of emotions, Right? 
I mean, it can be extremes on both ends of like happiness and joy along with like fear and trepidation and pain. Like it can be everything in between. So our emotional like life can just be taking peaks and valleys all throughout the season. We want to know how to deal with that, right? I want you to just have some tools at the end of this message just to understand some things. Now, I want to start with a Christmas story, okay? So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Matthew, the book of Matthew, first book of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? So first book of the New Testament, book of Matthew, chapter one, and we're going to see how Matthew starts his, uh, his book that he wrote, The Gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So I want to read it in just a minute. Now, Jesus, just so you know, we're going to read some things about Jesus's family. Because you think about the first book of the New Testament, it's the first story, it's, it's going to be something that's going to be really good right at the beginning, right? Like immediately you're going to read it and it's going to just change your life. And this is what is at, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the genealogy of Jesus, <laughs> Woo, right? Like right at the beginning, you're like, awesome, we're starting with the genealogy. I just love lists of names that I can't pronounce, right? Like, and that is how Matthew starts his book. And this is what he says, okay? He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, we're going to stop there. We just finished Genesis, so so far we're on board, right? Like, we're we like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. I, I'm getting the beginning of the, the, the genealogies. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Now I'm lost, right? His mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And it keeps going and going and listing and listing the genealogy of Jesus. And now we're thinking... Do I read this at the Christmas story to my two-year-old? Like, is this the part that I jump into? It says, no, not really. I don't start with a genealogy. Like, okay, kids, gather around. Here's a list of names. Now let's pray. You know, like, like it's, what, what are you doing, Matthew? Like, what is happening at the beginning of your gospel that you're starting with this list of names and genealogy? Here's what he's doing, okay? He's starting at the beginning with a list of names because Matthew is, is, is trying, he's not trying, Matthew is writing to unbelieving Jews, Okay? Um, Matthew was a Jew, and he wants his people, who the Messiah came for, to understand where Jesus came from so they can look back in the Old Testament and give proof to the genealogy of the line of the Messiah. He's trying to make a point to the unbelieving Jews. See, Jesus is the Messiah. Here's proof number one, chapter one of my book. Here is the genealogy proving the first thing here is that Jesus is in the lineage that the Messiah was going to come through. And it goes back all the way to the names we recognize, right? The son of David, Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and on and on and on down that list. Now, with this, gene- with this genealogy, he is tr- he's painting the picture. And when you read the Gospels, it's so cool. He's painting the picture to help these unbelieving Jews to understand that Jesus didn't just meet like one or two of the prophecies of the Messiah. Jesus met all of the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. He's trying to help them understand, oh, all 700 prophecies in the Old Testament that were written about a Messiah who was going to come? Yeah, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. So he's letting them know he is it. He's the one you've been waiting for. Because at this point in history, there were some Jews that accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They, they accepted Christ, and they were a part of the birth of this new thing called the church that we're all still part of today. Then it spread to the Gentiles. We read the book of Acts, which is so cool that God's like, this isn't just for the Jews. Like, this is for everybody. This gift of salvation, this Messiah came to save the whole world. 
which is another fulfillment of one of the prophecies in the Old Testament, that he didn't just come for the Jews. So Matthew is making this point and proving to them from Abraham to Joseph, 42 generations to help them understand all that generational proof that he is who God said he is and who Jesus said he was. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, in this genealogy at the very beginning, in these lists of genera- generations, it goes back to the promise in Genesis twenty-two eighteen to Abraham, right? Through Abraham, he said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. How is that going to happen? Jesus. This is what he's saying. Jesus fulfilled the promise to Abraham that all nations now get to receive the blessing of the salvation from a Messiah who can save you. All of us. He is the fulfillment of all of it. I'll talk more about that next week at Christmas Eve. That's not the point of my message. But this is how Matthew starts it with the list of names. Now, it's interesting because this genealogy, when you look at Old Testament genealogies, which we read some of them in Genesis, right? When you look at them, it's only usually lists of men because it's the men's name in the, in the lineage that moved on from generation to generation. We get to this one, and now we start seeing women listed, whose mother was Tamar, and, and there are women listed in the genealogy. And Matthew changes the, the tradition in the Old Testament and changes how the genealogy is written. It's like, why did he do that? Well, because all of these individuals are important. If your name's listed in the Bible, it's probably pretty important, isn't it? Like, to understand why their name was listed in that, in that spot. And he's listing men and women in this genealogy, and he's listing the good and the bad. Now, I don't know with like your fan, if you've ever done like, you know, Ancestry.com, you know, if you've like found out your lineage or um, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I think most families have that one great, great, great uncle that was a murderer, right? That you're like, he was adopted. He really wasn't one of us. You know, he's like, so you just kind of like hide that part of your, of your lineage and the ancestry. But like, that's not what Matthew, he didn't hide anything in this genealogy. It wasn't like, oh, this is just the best of the best cream, the crop genealogy to prove. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to list everybody in the genealogy. I'm not going to hide anything. Why? Because it's real, because that's what happened. And that's the cool thing about the Old Testament and New Testament. It doesn't, it doesn't hide anything. It's not this book of like, let's make everything look perfect and everyone look perfect so everybody believes everything. That's, it's just historical, right? It, this is what happened. This is who it happened to. And, and we see this in this, that this genealogy is the lineage of Joseph. So Jesus' stepfather, okay? God is his heavenly father, his real father. Joseph, God picked Joseph. Imagine being picked to raise the son of God, like I'm his physical dad on earth. We don't talk about Joseph all that much. Um, there's not a lot in the Bible about this guy, Joseph, who was the earthly father to teach his son how to do woodwork, right? Like, I, he, I, I'm, I want to ask him some questions, right? Like, what was Jesus like as a 12-year-old, you know? Like, like, did he have fits at 13 and just try to rebel? Like, what, what, he didn't sin. We know he didn't sin. Um, interesting stuff. Sorry, side note, squirrel. So let's get back to the point here. So he's taken it from um, Joseph's lineage. Now, here's the thing. Mary's lineage is the same, the same roots. Her, her genealogy goes back to David and proves as well, Okay. But in this, Matthew, he picked to go through Joseph's um, lineage in the bloodline. Now, this is the interesting thing about this, is that Jesus' earthly ancestry, this list of names, these 42 generations, 
includes cheaters, liars, idol worshipers, prostitutes, adulterers, fornicators, murderers, and more. Woo! How's your family? I mean, think about that. This is the earthly lineage of the Messiah, and we have people listed in this who have done really bad things. And it's not like swept under the rug, like, no, we don't talk about that. Like, no, these are stories in the Old Testament that are talked about. We go back to Abraham. We taught on Abraham in the book of Genesis, right? Abraham was not the perfect guy, but God picked him. It's like, you're my guy. I'm picking you. I'm giving you my promises. And then Abraham, one of the first things he did with Sarah was lied about her, right? To, went to, 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 to the king and was like, oh no, she's my sister because he was afraid. And he didn't do it once. He did it again, right? And then, and then his son did it as well. And so like, what is this family heritage of liars? You know, like, what are you guys doing? Why do you keep making this mistake? So, I mean, starting with the guy who got the original promise still messed up in the journey and in the process. You see, um, uh, later on, <laughs> you, you see some people listed in here. You, you see um, uh, Judah and Tamar, which is just a messy story. It's a very messy story. So Tamar was married to Judah's son, and Judah... Um, uh, Tamar's husband died and made her a widow. Now, at that point, when you become a widow, you lose everything. And so she was left, like, destitute. And so she actually manipulated Judah, her father-in-law, dressed up as a prostitute in a city to get him to sleep with her. She got pregnant. I mean, this is Jerry Springer stuff, y'all, right? Like, this is, like, messy, messed up. You got to be kidding me. So now she... She has to be brought back into the family and then it's taken care of. And then God uses all this mess for his purpose in the lineage leading to the Messiah. How does that work? It's God. He uses all the good and the bad. People like David, you hear the name David a lot, okay? In the Old Testament, New Testament. David is a big deal. Um, and, and David, the, the verse that people, you know, know the most about David, he was a man after God's own heart, right? That's what, that's what the scriptures say about David. But David was not a pure man, though. Like, he messed up. And uh, he, he sent his um, armies out to battle. He, as the king, should have been in battle with them, but he didn't. He stayed back at the palace. He was bored. He was looking down off of his palace and saw a woman bathing and said, I want her. Her name was Bathsheba, which is ironic, Bathsheba, but like, and so he takes her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then manipulates the whole circumstance, takes her husband, puts him at the front line of the battle to be killed. This is David, an adulterer, a cheater, a murderer, a man after God's own heart. What? Right? Like we struggle with these things, but it really happened until finally he repented, until finally like he, a prophet came and said, it's you, you know, you're the one. You, you screwed up, you messed up. And he repented and came back to God. We see these lineage, this lineage of Jesus and understand this, that Jesus' ancestry, his human earthly ancestry was full of family dysfunction. But still we see verses like this, even with David. In Revelation 22, just so you know, at the end of the book, right into the Bible, Jesus wins, he's coming back, okay? There you go. And this is what he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you, this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Now, how can he be both? That doesn't make any sense. 
He's a root of David because he was there in creation. Jesus was there before. And he was a part of what was happening before. And he was the root of David. And then he became the offspring of David through the lineage that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 1. So he's the root and he's the offspring and he's the bright morning star. So going back to last week's sermon, he's the light. He's the light of the world. He will be the final light that shines. We're not going to need a sun anymore. We'll be in God's glory, and that will be what lights us. But it goes back to even to this, the return of Christ, talking about David is a big deal, but he is he's not perfect. Why am I talking about all this, right? You, you, let's go to the Christmas story. I mean, you think about Mary and Joseph. Talk about a scandalous story, Right? You have Mary and Joseph, and they are pledged to be married. Now, this back then, pledged to be married is as if you're married, okay? It is a contract to be pledged to be married. You sign, we're in, like, we're going to get married. It's, it's, it's already a done deal. To break that covenant and that contract is a divorce. That's why you read in the, in the Christmas story that he had in mind to divorce her. Even though they weren't married, they were pledged to be married. That's a big deal. And then she was found to be pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. We're like, uh-oh, this is now soap opera. Whose baby is that? Is that not my baby? Like, what's going on? You know, like, it gets a little crazy. This is crazy. If you don't think it's crazy, you're crazy, right? This is, it's a, it's a very, imagine being Joseph's parents. You're the future in-laws of Mary who is letting Joe know, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's by the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> Who did this, right? Like, like at that point, you know, you're thinking, who, was it Jimmy? Was it Jimmy? I, I saw him looking at you, you know, like, like, and at this point, it's even a little crazier because girls got married at like 13 or 14 at this point. She's, she's a teenager. She's a young girl about to be pledged to be married, and now she's pregnant. You think about junior high, high schoolers getting pregnant today. It messes up a life. It changes the trajectory of life. And and it was the same thing in this story. So I just imagine being Joseph's parents and wondering, what are you doing, Joe? This isn't making any sense of what you're doing. And yet God was in it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and it was all fulfilled. She gave birth to a son. They named him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah. Where am I going with all this? This is what I want us to understand at the beginning. Jesus came from a broken family, and he redeems broken people. I believe that's why all of it's in there. It's because Jesus' own earthly family needed a Savior. <laughs> Do you think yours does too? Okay. Yeah. Do you think you do too? Yeah. We all need a Savior. We all need grace. We all need forgiveness of sins. And I'm so grateful that the story of Jesus came through the lineage of a broken family and that he, become the one, he became the one that saves broken people. He, he, he heals us. He redeems it. He did with Abraham in the Old Testament. He did with David. He did with Tamar. He did all those broken stories come with redemption stories. That God takes the bad, the hard, the difficult, the ugly, and he brings something fruitful from it. And salvation and redemption. And so, I, 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 and this is just me getting real. I know some of us in this room, 
your families are just broken. There's just broken parts of it. Um, and I want us to understand how we can be a little bit more like Christ during the Christmas season and as a guide of having a totally awesome Christmas, how to actually deal in healthy ways with dysfunction and make it fun. You can actually have some fun in it. <laughs> I'll tell you how in a minute. All right, we'll get there in a minute. But, but how can we do this? How do we deal with Christmas crazy? How to deal with the people that suck the life out of you during the holidays? Um, Hebrews. So I'm going to start here in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. So I'm going to be a lot of different verses, just a few verses this morning, okay, with this message. And this is what it says. This is a challenge to Christ followers in the book of Hebrews. This is a challenge for us. And, and it it's, can be a hard one, but it's one that we need to put into place during the season. It says, make every effort. How much effort? Every. So as much effort as you got, make it, right? Like, make every effort to live in peace with all men. What? So that is, means you don't have to be at peace with women, just the men, all right? And to be, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, 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 kidding. That's a joke, that's a joke, that's a joke, all right? It means everyone, all right? That's what it means, that to live at peace with all men and to be, say it with me, holy. Now, when you start studying the word holy throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, you go deep real quick, okay? We're going to talk about what that means. So make every error to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's how big a deal holiness is. You can't, you can't see the Lord without being set apart from the world. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That who misses it? No one. Nobody. Make sure nobody misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is the only verse we need this morning, y'all. I don't have to read chapters on this one, right? This, if we just get this verse right during the holidays, it's going to help you, okay? Let's talk about some of these words. Be holy, okay? Holiness. What is holiness? Simply put, it's separate then. It's different then, okay? To be holy means to not look like everything else. When, God, when we read the passage that God is holy, it means that God is different. There's nothing else like God. He is God. He is separate. He is set apart, okay? And now we're called to be holy. It means we're called to be different, to be set apart, to look different than this world we live in. That also means you're going to look different and set apart from some of the broken things in your life and in your family's life. Because as a Christ follower, you've been walking away from the broken things and letting him make you whole to bring peace into your life, to bring, to bring truth, to bring freedom. That's what Christ does when you walk with him. Now, some of you accepted Christ, but then you stopped walking. Meaning you accepted him, you got saved, but then you're still lost in brokenness because you haven't walked down the journey of healing. Meaning you haven't walked into holiness yet. You haven't been set apart. You're saved, but not set apart. You with me? It's a choice to be holy. That's why we're told to do it. If, we're, if, if it's just like you're saved, now you are holy, mm, you're holy in the eyes of God, meaning he separated you to be saved, yes. But you're not holy in perfection in your life by your actions and attitudes, right? And your thoughts. So we get to choose to be holy. Now, I don't know what family situation you're going into, but you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to be separate are you going to allow the dysfunction to be in you and with you? Or are you going to be wholly set apart from that brokenness and dysfunction in you? You with me? That is a choice. That's what holiness is. It's separate. It's different then. 
You look different than everyone else. You look different than the broken world that you live in. You look different than the broken things in your own family. You're setting yourself apart. That doesn't mean you're setting yourself apart to then point and judge because we're never called to be the judge. Did you know that? In Scripture, it never says, now judge everyone. <laughs> Since you're holy, look at everyone else's who unholy and be like, <laughs> like, no. That's not what it says. Make every effort to do what? To live in peace with all men. That is what we're called to do with our holiness. We're starting to look different. We're starting to act different. We're starting to think different. And as we're doing that, we're still trying to live in peace with those who aren't looking different, who aren't acting different, and who are still broken. That's what we're called to do. And to do what we can, make every effort on our part to live at peace. Now, here's the thing. Will you always be at peace with everyone? No. Everybody say it with me. No. Why? You can do all your part, but they can still not do theirs, right? You're making every effort to live at peace. If they're choosing to not receive peace or accept peace or not giving peace back, that is on them. That's not on you. You're only in charge of who? You, right? Your circle of control. We talk about that a lot. Circle of control, circle of no control. Like, you are only in charge of you. Make every effort to live at peace with all men to be holy, separate. Without holiness, this is a big sentence. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this is talking about the salvation and holiness, meaning if God hasn't set you apart, if you're not saved, you can't see the Lord. It starts with salvation. If you accept Christ and you are saved, you are made holy in his presence, and you get to see the Lord. Now that you've been made holy, start living holy. That's the choice, okay? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now, who includes that no one would miss it? That includes your crazy uncle. That includes your mother-in-law. That includes your uh, sister that's driving you crazy today. It says, make sure no one misses the grace of God. How are they going to experience the grace of God? As a Christ follower, it's through who? It's through you. You get to be a representative of God's holiness and his grace to you, and you get to give grace to the broken and hurting people. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that, and this is now our part, and that no bitter root grows up. Because what does bitterness grow up? It causes all sorts of trouble. It defiles me. Bitterness doesn't stay inside of you. It spills on everyone around you. Bitterness as a root is an ugly thing. And you have a choice to either let bitterness come in or to pull it out from the root as fast as you can. I'm going to give you some points on how to do that here in just a moment. Okay. <clears throat> if you would talk to Jim, if you would talk to Nikki, if you talk to myself as pastors here, I don't know how often we've met with people and we give them every tool to do this, to make every effort to live at peace. Every tool to walk in holiness, every tool to show grace, every tool to rip out bitterness. But I don't know how many people still choose to not do any of it. That, I, for us as pastors, like, it hurts our hearts that people would choose to walk down a path of destruction and to continue to walk down a path of hurt, continue to let things lead them away from God. Like, ah, they have everything in front of them. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? Like, that's, that's the reality. I don't want to see any of us lack any tool 
but when you have the tools to never use them. Because what ends up happening is you, if you're walking with Jesus, and so you're walking right next to somebody, if you turn just a little bit off of parallel with them, at the beginning, it's not going to feel like a big difference. But the farther you walk and the longer you walk and the longer you head in that direction, the farther away you get. I don't want you to do that during Christmas because of dysfunctional, messed up families. We get to choose as Christ followers. Let's be holy. Let's choose to look different. Let's choose to look like Jesus. Jesus was weird, y'all. That's why they wanted to kill him. (laughs) Because they're like, you don't look like us religious people, Jesus. You're actually doing things that are ticking us off. We're going to murder you. That's welcome to the Gospels. That's the whole Gospels, okay? And then they finally did at the end. But he he conquered it. (laughs) He conquered death. He rose again. He's alive. Amen? Amen. So he, even in their plan, God's like, thank you for trying, but nope. Like, you can't do it. Jesus wins, okay? Our plans, the closer we walk to Jesus, the more holy we become. The closer we walk to Jesus and stay beside him, the more freedom we get to live into. I'm going to encourage you with these tools I'm about to give you, use them, please. Don't let this just be a sermon during the holidays and be like, that was neat, and then leave. I want us to deal with difficult situations during this holidays in, in the right ways. Number one, write this down, fill in the blank. And these are just real quick. Number one for us is that we need to be proactive, not reactive, okay? When it comes to de- dealing with difficult people, you have to be proactive, not reactive. Usually reactive is, is based and birthed out of emotion, that's what reactions are, right? Like somebody does something to you or says something that just like gets under your skin. And our reactive part of our is, is <clears throat> excuse me, it's the emotional or thought part of our life where it's like, they said that, it triggered me and oh, I got some ammunition, right? Like that's reactive. It's like here, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. And then have you ever reacted to something with absolute passionate emotion and anger that it's turned out perfect? It doesn't work. Like anger like that, when you, when you use anger as an ammunition, all you're doing is throwing gas on the fire, right? And, and that's not leading anybody towards grace. That's not leading you towards holiness. Like, like we need to be proactive. And this is what proactive, being proactive in situations is doing this. Number one, prepare yourself spiritually. When you're going to be in difficult situations, you have to prepare yourself spiritually. Meaning, you got to be prayed up about that circumstance. You got to be prayed up about that Christmas party you're going to go to. You, I guarantee you, most of you already know what you're going to be facing, so get ready spiritually. If you know there's a spiritual darkness in the family, the staff party you're going to, the Christmas thing, you're, whatever that, if you know there's already like, there's actual spiritual darkness that you're going to be encountering and facing, you got to be prayed up, right? You got to Ephesians 6 this thing, which is putting on the spiritual armor of God. So prepare yourself spiritually. Be proactive. God, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness, right? The feet ready with the gospel, which is me being the representative of the grace of God. Like, I'm going to put these things on and spiritually prepare myself and be prayed up. God, I don't want anything to come into my life from the darkness I'm about to experience, so protect me. Does that make sense? Be proactive. Spiritually prepare yourself for what you're about to go into. You should also prepare yourself emotionally. If you know that one person is a trigger in your life emotionally, just get ready for it, right? Just be like, okay, I'm going to choose this. The moment they start talking about politics and this and that and Democrats and Republicans, I, this is what I'm going to do. Boop, 
<laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prepare myself emotionally to not get angry, to not get heated, or to not, like, whatever that thing is in, that comes out of you normally, that's, it's, it's usually the simple part of us that bubbles out, all right? You're going to choose emotionally prepare yourself to say, I'm not going to let things bubble out of me. I'm going to use self-control, right? Prepare yourself emotionally. Prepare yourself physically, right? Like, you're probably going to be eating some stuff and... and Hopefully you're not going to have an actual fist fight. So I'm not saying, like, do that. I'm not like, I'm working out for this one. You know, I'm going to climb the stairs like Rocky. Like, I'm getting ready for Christmas. You know, like, like that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but sometimes, like, you actually need to take care of your body. Get a, get a good night's sleep the night before, right? Take a nap that day. You know, like, like eat healthy. Don't eat a bunch of junk leading into that. Because your body, it affects your soul and your spirit. Like, so prepare yourself... Be proactive, right? Go unprepared for the negative, but be armed with two things. Be armed with the love of God, protected by the armor of God. You get to represent the grace of God when you go that way, right? So go in with the love of God, protected by the armor of God, so that you can show the grace of God to your family, because all of us need it. Amen? Now, some of you, you're going into some really dysfunctional things. We've had to do this in our family sometimes. We, we had a family member that was abusive uh, emotionally and verbally. And this was years and years and years ago. And, uh, and for Nikki and I, when we went to that Christmas gathering, we always had an ally. And that's okay. Have somebody who you can trust in the family who knows that situation that is on your side. Not to like take people down or anything like that. Not a bodyguard. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying like somebody that you know that they will have your back if anything happens. And that, and that if you're struggling with something, you can go to them and you can trust them. It's good to have an ally like that, okay? So there's just a side note. Have some people that you can trust in those circumstances that you're going into so you don't feel alone in it. The enemy loves you to feel lonely, especially during Christmas. Some of you I know that's, um, that's we did a whole sermon on that a couple of years ago. The, the Grinches that steal Christmas and loneliness is one of those Grinches, Right? And don't feel alone. Don't, don't let loneliness, um, don't let the enemy use that against you. Find a friend. Find a godly person, a BGP, big godly person in your life. Find, find people who can have your back and be praying for you and encouraging you. That's why we have small groups here. That's why we have mentoring. That's why we have counseling. That's why we want you to have that circle, okay? Now, again, it's your choice if you use it or not, but there's something that you need in your life to have an ally. So be proactive, not Reactive, okay? Everybody say it with me. Be proactive, not reactive. Tim's tip number two. Be self-aware. Be self-aware, okay? Um, ask yourself the question, why am I acting this way or responding this way? What is the trigger and how can I let it go? Like, when you know yourself, you can actually teach yourself. When you know what's going to happen and what's going on inside of you and you're aware of it, you can deal with it. You can prepare for it. You can go into it and, and not let bitterness take root, okay? Because that was what he said, uh, um, that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's a part of being self-aware. Is there any kind of bitter root? Is there anything that like goes pretty deep with you? that you know you're going to be a part of the ugly. You know, you're, you're not going to, like, be a fire extinguisher. You're going to be gasoline. You know, like, it, what part of you is, is going to create more of a problem, okay? 
Because there's something in all of us. It's called sin nature, dadgummit, right? There's also something inside of us. We are brilliant, and every single one of us are brilliant at self-protection. And when you feel attacked, you're going to use everything that you have, whether that's good or bad, (laughs) right? Whatever you got, it's coming out because you feel absolutely endangered. You have to be self-aware. You have to know what's going on inside of you. You have to know, is there a bitter root inside of here? Because if there is, I got to pull it out from the root. I got to pull it out from the root. This is what it says in Luke chapter, um, chapter 6, Jesus talking. And this is what he said. He said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. So if you're self-aware and you know there's some bad seeds in there, there's some bad things happening in there, you start to replace it and start planting some good things in your heart, right? You, you start storing it up. Why do you store things up? To use it later, right? You don't store things up for immediate consumption. You, you store it up so that when you need it, it's there. That is being self-aware and being proactive. So you can store that stuff up, uh, the good stuff, but an evil man brings out evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. This is bitterness. I'm telling you, bitterness is an evil root that will cause all sorts of dysfunction. And it'll show itself in the most difficult situations and just blow things up. Like, so what's in you is going to come out of you. So be self-aware and start storing up the things that need to be stored up in preparation in that self-awareness and start putting the good deposits in your life for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what it comes out, it's already in there, right? (laughs) And uh, you know some people, yeah, they got some stuff in there and they let it out, you know? (laughs) And it comes out of them often and it comes out of them in lots of different ways and oh, we just love social media, right? Like, it's a beautiful thing um, that destroys a lot of people. This is what you need to do. You got to pull it from the root. Just don't deal with the fruit is, is my point here, okay? If I go back to that. Pull it from the root. Just don't, don't deal with the fruit. Meaning if it's like, man, I keep saying bad things. Um, I just need to stop being, saying bad things. If you try to like force yourself to stop saying bad things, or so, it's like, it's not going to happen. Why? Because where is that bad thing? It's stored up in your heart. It's coming out because it's in there. You have to start replacing it and pulling it from the root. That bitter root needs to be pulled out. That judgmental attitude towards broken people who are sinners just like you needs to be pulled out and now grace needs to be put in, right? Bitterness out, love in. You have to replace it at the root in your heart to change what comes out of your mouth and your actions. So that's what he's saying. Be self-aware. What's at the root? So I can deal with the root, not just this fruit that I'm trying to do um, behavior modification is what we call it, right? Like I'm just gonna change what I do and how I act. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can try and try and try and you're gonna fail and fail and fail. Why? Because it's all coming out of a place in the depths of your heart. You gotta deal with your heart. You gotta deal with your soul. You gotta deal with the things inside of you. If you don't, it's just gonna keep coming out. This is a fun sermon, Tim. Thank you for bringing us this one. At Christmas. Christmas. Be self-aware, right? I'm hoping this is helpful. Is it helpful? Okay, good, because I'll keep going then. If it's not, I'll just pray and we'll end. Um, A last encouragement when we're talking about dealing with Christmas crazy is this. Um, Oh, I already said that. Pull it from the root. Don't just deal with the fruit, okay? Deal with hurts in healthy ways, okay? Because you are going to get hurt. 
I guarantee it. You're going to do. You're going to make every effort on your part to keep peace with other people. And you're you're going to do the right things. You're going to say the right things. You're going to show grace. You're going to you're going to love people. Um, but when those hurts do come, deal with them in healthy ways, not destructive ways. Right? There's some things that go on the rise during the holidays. Drinking is one of them. We use lots of things to cope. Right? Christmas cookies are beautiful and delicious and they make you so happy and they can fulfill the depths of your emotional soul, right? Right? So we use all sorts of things to like cope, you know, food is a big one during the holidays that we use to cope. Drinking, maybe you cope by yelling, you know. You feel better after you just yell and get it out. The problem is when you yell, you're probably not just yelling at no one. You're probably yelling at someone, right? And so you're hurting people with your hurt. You know the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Um, we don't want to do that. We want to deal with hurts in healthy ways, right? Don't kick your dog, right? You can kick the cat all you want. <laughs> don't kick the dog. <laughs> I had to throw it in there somewhere. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we know where cats go when they die, so it's... A, it's a <clears throat> Don't, yeah, don't kick the dog. Um, there's healthy ways to deal with hurts. All right, I'll, let's side note. Don't email me, I won't read it. Um, how do you deal with hurts in healthy ways, right? How, how do you deal with it? Okay, so don't, you know the things not to do. Those, those are the vices. We all have our different vices, right? It's like, let's not do the destructive things. How can we deal with hurt in healthy ways? Number one is this, lament. It's, it's not something that's taught today in the American church. Um, but it's a biblical model for us to deal with hurts and pains. We see David, go ahead and read all the Psalms and see how David dealt with hurts. David was, <laughs> David was being attacked by Saul, trying to, Saul was trying to murder him, like trying to get rid of him. And here David is lamenting about it, you know, and he's saying to God, why is everybody against me? Why are the enemies trying to attack me? And he's letting it out. That's what a lament is. It's letting out the heaviness that's on your heart and giving it to God as you do it. It's praying your hurts to God and when you lament, the good thing with the Psalms is after he laments, he brings it back to truth. It's like, I'm going to let it all out, but then we say, but God, thank you for loving me. But God, I know you're going to have victory. But God, and you start grabbing onto promises after you lament. That's a healthy way to deal with hurts, is lament about it. Let it out, journal it out, pray it out, get it out, right? Prayer is a huge part of that. Crying is a healthy emotion, Okay. And if you don't cry, you're not getting poked hard enough or something. Poke your eyes. Like, make yourself cry. I don't know. Like, crying is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. I don't know. Some of you, you know, like that release after just a good, hard, deep cry about something that's weighing on you. There's actually some freedom at the end of it. I don't know. The Holy Spirit does something in that moment. It's a part of the lament. Let yourself feel it and cry it out. Don't drink it out, right? Exercise. If you want to do that, Doing a hobby, something you enjoy, taking a nap. Like, choose a healthy way to deal with the hurts. Go get counseling. Talk to somebody, right? Just don't ball it up until it blows up. Deal with hurts in healthy ways. Now, here's a little fun side note. This is something that I've had to do sometimes. I have to be so careful. My family's coming to church this morning, and I have to be so careful. <laughs> My parents are going to be here for the 11 o'clock, and I'm like, I don't know if you want to be here. Um, 
Anyways, there are times, have fun with the crazy, okay? This is, this is just Tim. Like, you can have fun with the crazy. Um, sometimes you know you're going in a family situation, and it is going to be like, you have that, that crazy uncle, you've got that sibling, you've got, like, there, you know crazy showing up, right? In your mind, prepare yourself and think, I can't wait to be a part of this sitcom. Because <laughs> imagine if somebody was recording this video and showing it later on YouTube, Okay? And you pretend I'm actually on a TV show right now. And these characters in this TV show are hilarious. Did you just hear what they said? Oh my gosh! Because then if you're preparing yourself to be like, I already know it's going to be crazy, let's have some fun, right? Let's have some fun with this. And let's pretend I'm just in some crazy comedy sitcom. And then when you're leaving that party, you can just laugh. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, okay? Turn the dysfunction and have some fun, Okay? Um, now, let me go back to my main point in all this, okay? Those are just some practical tips to help you. My main point was this. Jesus came from a broken family, and he redeems broken people. You want a guide to a totally awesome Christmas? Let Jesus be the one that fixes your brokenness. Because he, he's at work. Sometimes we don't see it or understand it in our families. It's hard to see good things usually with those closest to us. That's, a lot of times that's some of the hurts that we get. But you need to understand Jesus is doing something. And he can fix things. He can actually re- redeem things. He, even in the midst of difficult seasons and circumstances. I'm grateful that we have a Savior who came from a broken family, which means he gets it. He understands you. He understands what you're feeling. He understands what you're experiencing. He understands the things that are hard. He also understands and celebrates with you the things that are joys. Like, he gets you. And he loves you. And he knows the broken parts that are in your life. And he desires to heal those. So during this Christmas season... Let God be the healer. As you do your parts, as we talked about, but let God be the healer. Let God be the God of grace. Let Jesus be the Messiah who was born. You're nobody's Messiah. You can't save any of your family. You can love them. You can show grace to them. But Jesus is their only Messiah. So don't point them to you. Point them to Jesus. And pray for them. You need to understand your family's dysfunctional, even the, the physical lineage of Jesus is dysfunctional, but God is never dysfunctional. God is always perfect. The perfect heavenly father. He's the father that we've all dreamed of having. He's the dad that never messes up. He's the dad that loves you unconditionally. He's the dad that just pours out his love upon you and just lavishes you with it. And he just, he, no matter what you do, he's just gonna keep doing it. That's God. And so let him father you as the perfect heavenly father. He is the best ally. God, thank you for your word this morning. And in a moment, as we're going to take some time to respond in in communion and respond in worship, um, I thank you that, that you're a real God. You're not a pretend God. That you are real, alive, and active. That you know what we feel that you feel what we feel, that we have a Savior who has experienced the brokenness of this world, 
has felt loss and pain, has felt family dysfunction, has, has experienced all those things, but did not sin and became for us salvation. God, as, as we take this time, I just pray that you just lead us um, in this time of response. I want to talk to the Christ followers in the room first as just a challenge for you. And you've already heard the sermon, so you already know the challenges, but, but what during the season do you need to do to be at peace with people? Whether that's things you need to do just in your own heart to be at peace, to not let war rage or bitterness or anything. Like, what do you need to do in your own heart and what do you need to give to God today to let him free you from, from some of those dark things and some of those hindrances and some of those hurts, some of those hang-ups, some of the addictions, <laughs> the things that you use that aren't healthy, that aren't bringing life. Like, today, I would just encourage you as we take communion to thank him for salvation and give those things to him and just release, release them. And for those of you who you don't know Jesus yet, you know, I'm talking about all this, and I, I need you to know what God's done for you. God sent his one and only son to live a perfect life on this world. And they still killed him. The Jews rose up, politicians rose up, and they hung Jesus on a cross. And they thought they had power, but they had no power. Jesus chose to die on a cross to pay for your sin. Why? Because sin brings death. And his death paid for all your sin. If you confess and believe in your heart that Jesus did it for you, you can be saved. You can be made holy before God today. And he sees you then as his child and you get to start a relationship with this God who loves you like crazy. And if you want that, I'm going to pray. And you can walk into that relationship right now. You can start that relationship with God. So if that's you, I would say pray this with me. Make it your own words, your own confession. But you can say, they say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm not perfect. But I know that I need saved. So I'm confessing today, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And then when he died, he took my sin upon him. And I'm asking, would you forgive me of all my sins, God? Would you clean me, heal me, give me your peace? I want to turn away from my sin and I want to walk towards you. So lead me into your presence, God. Give me your Holy Spirit. Save me. And I ask this in Jesus' name alone today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.